a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, darkness, my old friend, Stephen. How are you? Am I darkness now? That's me? Yeah, I guess you're darkness. Hi, it's me. Uh, well, for anyone who's listening, Stephen always has us record silence before we start recording. Yeah. And it always makes me think of the sound of silence. So that song is always stuck in my head. Like a good podcast producer, we capture room noise so I can do effective noise cancellation in the post Yeah, actually, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Yes, I care about sound quality. But yeah. Speaking of sound quality, uh, we have a new friend joining us this week who Ayo. I literally just met. 10 minutes ago, even though I know the sound of her voice, the lovely Cat Dwyer. Amazing. Hello. Welcome. She's here. She's done it. Welcome, Cat. My, <laughs> my fellow other co-host from my other podcast, The Whiskey Bench. Yes. Would you briefly introduce yourself and talk about Whiskey Bench and what that project means to you? Totally. I'm stoked to be here, guys. Thank you for including me. Um, I am Cat Dwyer, and I... Am Henning's co-host along with uh, Stephen Torna on the Whiskey Bench podcast, um, where we sort of meet weekly over a classic drink, and we talk kind of we just talk shop. We talk everything from philosophy to politics to current events to, I guess sometimes even odd pop culture things. Maybe um, <laughs> so. Yeah, we just get together and and have a thoughtful conversation and i think we tend to to dig into some interesting things sometimes we have more than one drink on a good night and uh yes those are yes. the classics <laughs> yeah it's a fun it's a fun outlet for me these are things that um i know this was kind of the brainchild of of torna's and something he had sort of started a while ago and then uh revamped with us but from my perspective this is the whiskey bench is kind of a formalized extension of the conversations that I've been having with friends and, and in particular with Torna for a while now. So it's been fun to kind of have a more formal outlet to share those ideas with a wider audience. So, totally. And much in yeah. the same way that Josh and Emily met when I asked them to be on this podcast, uh, you and I met basically the same circumstances. Like right. we, had, we had no idea who each other were. And Torna was like, trust me, these people are cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Yeah. I love that both of these shows are born out of this, the, like, we have common interests, we have common ideas and are willing to share those ideas, but we don't have to be, like, 10-year-old friends. Totally. Yeah. And you were wise enough to have me on No Normal People, your other show. Ah, uh, yes. Prior to getting on Whiskey Bench. Thank and you that, for the that plug. was a good way to kind of break the ice. Oh, it totally was. It was great. Well, Kat, I love your description of Whiskey Bench. Like, especially the, like, these are the conversations I was having already. So we just recorded them. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's exactly how I feel about Ravel. Like, yeah. I feel like that was my whole philosophy <laughs> when I said yes. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to keep talking about this stuff anyway. We might as well, like, make it available to for people to listen to if they want, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And we do share delicious drinks from the bar of Mr. Steven Torna. We do. On Ravel, we're not nearly as fancy, but we do always mention what we're drinking up here at the top. So what are you drinking tonight, my friends? I just grabbed what I had in my fridge. I have gin, but I, I, I didn't want to go down that road tonight. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I had a single beer left in my fridge that somebody left from Outlaw Brewing. It's called Patio Pounder. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> so Patio Pounder. It's a hazy IPA tall can with a very nice image on the front. So that's what I'm drinking. What about you, Josh? Um, well, I also didn't want to get too fancy schmancy, and I'm drinking a mango fruit juice from oh. Trader Joe's, which, uh, as someone pointed out on TikTok recently, or I'm sorry, I was watching the news on TikTok, 
Um, someone funny. pointed out that all juice is puree. Huh. <laughs> like huh. if it wasn't puree, it would be water. Huh. Marketing. All right. <laughs> so you need to have some level of puree for it to be juice. Huh. I don't know how much of this is juice versus like not puree. I don't know. But anyway, it's delicious. I was just like thinking about that. So fun fact. Excellent. And I do also, I'm also drinking another thing, but well, I guess I am. It's a mug full of blackberries that me and my girlfriend picked yesterday. Oh. And I think it counts as drinking if you're like in a drinking motion. Well, I mean. Just pouring them down your throat. <laughs> yeah. Puree those things yeah. and you got blackberry juice, my man. There you go. Really, it's really it's pre-juice. It's pre-juice. pre-juice. That's all fruit is. It's pre-juice. <laughs> all right, uh, Stephen, what are you drinking? I I think this is a ravel first, but I'm the one drinking the Lacroix tonight. Oh, I am enjoying. I think it's a new flavor. I honestly don't know what's new and what's old, but I am enjoying the hibiscus flavor. Shotgun mm. it. No, nope. I have <laughs> chugged White Claw on. Whiskey bench, and I will never chug a sparkling thing again. That was a mistake. Wise man. That I will not make again. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out there are laws after all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Kat, you are our guest this week, so we would like to open up the roundtable discussion here with basically just leaving you the opportunity to like, like, where would you like to start our conversation? Like the metaphor we use is like, what thread would you like to tug on and see where we go tonight? Yeah, well, I was thinking about this over the weekend and upon reflection, I realized that like there was a time in my life where wow, my faith is still very important to me, but there was a time in my life where like the church itself was a really big part of my life and it isn't so much anymore. And I guess that that kind of happened naturally and comfortably and I didn't feel like it was a problem and I suppose I still don't feel like it's a problem but when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about on this episode it occurred to me that like it's been a minute since I've been to church and it's been a minute since I've opened my bible and as I I think I had mentioned to you Henning like I since moving here um maybe I should provide a little background I moved to Bozeman um a little over two years ago hate to admit it from California <laughs> and I know that that's like you're that well it was before the major wave before the Los Angeles wave really it was before yeah like the COVID induced <laughs> wave right I don't know I like to think that I'm not a part of the problem but, um, trendsetter if anything yeah there you go there you go yeah upon moving here I've realized and especially like meeting meeting you heading and meeting Torna because Christianity is kind of seems to be kind of an integral part of both of your lives. It's given me kind of a glimpse into a different uh, like way of living your faith. And Mm. I feel like I don't know as much about my faith as I thought I did. I mean, I, I maybe more background is necessary there. I, um, and I can, I can dive into more of the specifics if that's of interest, but um, I mean, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through, all the way through high school. Whoa. And I like feel like I don't know anything about my faith, which is kind of telling, I think. And I think it's largely to do with where I grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I'm rambling at this point, but basically Christianity was a really big part of my life and is, but it has taken a different form. And I'm also really surprised just by how differently it's practiced in different parts of the country. Hmm. Yeah, like there's so much to chew on there. Like, because I'm interested in all of that kind of stuff too. Like, from everything from like the stereotype of like Catholics don't actually know what they believe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to like the, <laughs> like the secularization of like the coastal regions, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, there's a, I think there's a lot there. What I'm curious, like, what do you find still? I, I think what's so interesting about you, like, I don't even know you that well, obviously. But like just knowing like a little bit about your background just now, like you realizing that your faith is important to you, A, but B, you don't think you know as much as you think you should know about it. I'm curious what you are still asking yourself now, like in that tension. Mm. Like what is like what is like the biggest thing on your mind or like the biggest question mark for you right now? 
You know, I don't even I don't even think I have like a specific question. So maybe maybe it's even less about like a lack of knowledge and more just about so much like time has gone by without me really being a student of Christianity that I feel like I'm a little delinquent, I guess, <laughs> like mm, on my studies, mm. I suppose, is a way to frame it. But um, yeah, I mean, your comment on Catholics not really knowing what they believe in, that is like, I can't think that is a stereotype. And I think to some degree, it's fairly accurate. I I grew up in the Catholic Church, but it was very, it was in the Bay Area. I, I was in a very progressive community and it didn't really, you know, it was kind of your quintessential private Catholic school with like a priest who got sent away and another priest who like definitely had a drinking problem. <laughs> and, you know, like my parents got divorced when I was really young and I, I sort of the, the kids of divorced parents, there was only a handful of us. We were all kind of like treated differently. And, and it just, my whole experience within the Catholic church and, and feeling like, you know, we never opened a Bible once, you know, like mm. we, it just, I was so turned off by it all. And by the time I got out of high school, I was still, I struggled with that a lot because I think really more than my education and more than the Catholic church, like my father really instilled like a, a faith in me. And so I was kind of like, I was thirsty for like that real connection with the Holy Spirit. And I started going to a Calvary chapel. Mm. And that to me was just, I mean, it blew my mind at first, right? It felt so authentic. It felt so real. Um, it was welcoming. I didn't feel judged. Like it just was a very, it was a very different experience. I, I fully felt like I felt, you know, the Holy Spirit when I was in those services, especially with the, with the worship music this might sound silly, but they had a kick-ass band, <laughs> and, like a full piece band with like a trumpet and like a whole brass section Whoa. and like standing bass and oh. drums. I mean, it was like re they were really talented. And eventually that band like moved on to a church in L.A. and the music was never as good after that. But um, the music definitely drew me in because it was just it felt it was just really powerful. You could like feel the soul, you know, mm. Yeah, like that. I I mean, I dove in hard there. I I was doing Bible studies. I was doing volunteer work with the church on the weekends and I was um I got rebaptized actually. Um I had been baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church and then I decided I had been thinking about it for a long time and then one day after service, I was by myself and I just went and did it and um it was a really beautiful moment. Um and then I I don't know. I just kind of there was a um, maybe it was a shift in me, but I just got to a point where I, I like it lost its. I felt like I outgrew it. And and I don't know if that's I don't mean any disrespect by that to that church. It was a good, good community of people and, and they do good work, but it stopped speaking to me after a while. Wow. Um, I've totally been in that place. Man, I feel like I'm in, in Josh's position where like you've mentioned so many things that I'm so curious to talk about. That like the challenge of picking one is kind of where I'm at because like I've, I think I've floated a theory on Ravel before that I think you're kind of speaking to in the way that you were raised, you were raised like within the Catholic uh, system, for lack of a better word, like you went to church, you were part of that and also part of private schools that were identifiably Catholic, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's like that idea of like, you were just kind of raised in a certainly one of many versions of like Christian culture in America. And that I think I've, I've seen parallels and it, it sounds like you're describing a parallel to like the way some people in Jewish traditions or like Islam traditions will describe being like culturally Jewish, but not like a practicing or believing mm. Jewish person. So like that idea of just like coming in, the the cultural angle but then like it's very evangelical to talk about the way and i don't mean that in a derogatory sense it's like very sure evangelical to talk about like feeling the connection with the holy spirit especially facilitated by music and mm -hmm. kind of the the emphasis of that like the personal relationship aspect which is something that i've almost like only just recently been kind of looking around like 
maybe I should kind of like rekindle that because I kind of missed that element of, of things that used to appeal to me, but very much in the same way, I also have felt that outgrowing effect of like a previous church context or previous specific theologies. Like that's, that's what we get into on Ravel most often is like those specific theologies, but even, even that feeling of like this church doesn't quite do the same, even if it's your favorite musician moved on, like that's still meaningful. Even if some people in the Christian community would say like that is kind of an element of making it fake, you know, Mm. you know, what really irks me about the whole cultural Christianity thing Speaking of which, I'm glad you brought this up. About the way I talk about it? No, 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 not you, not you, I'm sorry. Like, I feel like the other name for it is nominal Christian, like, you're only Christian by name. Oh, yeah. Like, why Why do we, like, have this association, like, why does the church have this association, I should say, that that is somehow less than? Because, like, obviously, Kat, like, I feel like you're a great example, and honestly, I'm kind of a great example, too. I mean, you don't know that much about me, but, like, I'm not active in a church right now. And so for a lot of people's definitions, they would consider both of us, or maybe even Stephen, like, quote unquote, nominal Christians. Yep. Like, we mm. just say we're Christian. But like, ev- that self-imposed label is still meaningful. That doesn't mean we're not. Like, we're still more Christian than something else. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's sure. still like valid statistical data. Yeah, right, right. And that just, that, that really irks me. Like, I don't understand that attitude because like, obviously each of us have had such a unique, specific spiritual journey. And regardless of where we find ourselves at currently in the religious landscape, there should still be a really valid way for the church or us to acknowledge ourselves within the church as still figuring Christianity out. Right. And I don't think there is currently. I think in my, in my case, I'm, I don't know how this will sound, but I'm I'm kind of like a contrarian by nature. And Hmm. I almost think that like being raised in the Catholic Church and being so like it was such a part of my daily life, you know, going to Catholic school that I just instinctively wanted to reject it because Hmm. that's what was all around me. And I almost think like as soon as the kind of non-denominational like I always describe it as non-denominational. I don't even know if that's accurate, but the Calvary Chapel, you know, church that I was going to, as soon as that started to feel like home, it like it, it was done for me. That was when I, I like couldn't, it no longer, it lost its magic, I guess. Mm. And that's not to say that I lost my faith or like that my belief in like Christ lost its magic, but just like that specific community. Totally. And I think also like I, I, was living in Idaho for a very brief period of time when I first graduated college and I went to a few churches there and they were just like, I don't know if you had to paint a, like the stereotype of what like a mega Christian church looks like, that's what they were like. And I, and you know, I, I obviously picked ones that weren't right for me, but um, yeah, that kind of, that kind of cemented it for me. As soon as I was in a community where like everybody did that, I started to want to run away from it. Wow. Which, I mean, so there is certainly a tradition even talking about specific characters in the Bible. Like, there are biblical characters that do that. Like, the prophets kind of fit that mold pretty well. Not that I'm trying to, like, directly compare you to, like, you're a prophet, Kat. But <laughs> um, but that's that's something that is, like, part of the ancient roots of our tradition, like, in the, in the roots of our faith. Like, mm-hmm. the Abrahamic tradition is kind of a constant like push and pull call and response between like the people of God and what God is trying to do through them. And like, you know, sometimes the prophets are called to be like out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, like very much playing the contrarian, but not, not for the sake of just trying to say like, what if we could do something differently, but more for the sake of like, we're obviously not doing our best. Right. So that's the tradition. And I mean, like, you know, you're you're kind of coming in on, on Ravel turf here too, which is like there are a good number of people who listen to this show, you know, and some that have even joined us on our Patreon community and in Discord where like we're all we all kind of feel that way too. Like we like we're totally with you on that. Hmm. So if anything, you are definitely not alone 
in this feeling of like, you know, the magic wore off, you know, because like that is a perfect way to describe how I feel about my old church context. I have no ill will for anyone there. And I think they do good work and do good things. But every time I go in there, I have that innate sense of like, this isn't for me though. Mm. Right. Like I am not their target audience. Now, this is something that, um, Henning, we haven't, you know, we don't really touch upon this on, um, on the whiskey bench and Josh, I'm just meeting you for the first time. So I don't know if this is, would be repetitive for your Ravel audience, but I'd love to know, like, kind of, I don't know, maybe a synopsis of like your guys' own journey and like where you're at today with your faith and how you observe it. Oh yeah, totally. Oh, I'll go first. And Steven's been just like hogging the mic over here. Sorry. Um, I am a pastor's <laughs> kid by birth. I saw so I like grew up going to church, like not going to church wasn't really even an option for a long time. Uh, you know, going to church camp, youth group all throughout high school. I was homeschooled through middle school. Um, I feel like that's important. I'm just like realizing that like every homeschooler always says that. But I think for someone who hasn't been homeschooled, or maybe for people who don't realize how much overlap there is between homeschooling and American Christianity, it yeah. might not seem as obvious that that's significant. I'm like just realizing that for the first time. Do you know what I'm talking about, Stephen? Because you were also homeschooled. Yeah. No, absolutely. It is. It is a subculture with a very specific, like, unconscious language to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all of cat, all of my curriculum was Christian. So it wasn't like private Christian school Christian. It was like a little bit more insular, if that makes mm. sense. So I was homeschooled. I went to high school. Um, I, w- I did go to college and I did briefly attend before college uh, like a Pentecostal flavored ministry school. Mm. And then I've, I've just been like volunteering like up through then as like a youth leader, playing on the worship team, stuff like that. Like I feel like I've like had your very basic growing up in church involvement to youth leader pipeline experience that a lot of <laughs> totally. people have had. Right. <laughs> and uh, my the last church I was attending regularly was a really Calvinist church out in Montana. And since coming to Seattle, I find myself more attracted to some of the older traditions of Christianity, specifically Episcopalianism, although I've like wanted to flirt with orthodoxy but i just like haven't had the opportunity to partly because of covid partly because of time <laughs> you but. and torna both man yeah <laughs> i kind of want to flirt with it too because it's just something <laughs> i don't know it's just so different love it yeah <laughs> but i would say like if i had to sum up like where i've been i feel like it was during college i mean this is so typical of everyone but like during college asking more questions on my own like doing more listening and reading on my own and I've just like come to accept over the last like five years that I just think my theology will always be in flux no matter what my beliefs change to and A, I should expect that and B, I just like can't stop thinking about it either. That to me isn't a problem. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem either. I love it. Yeah. All right, Henning, what's your synopsis? Well, okay, so I, you know, I wasn't a PK, but I was born into a a Christian, you know, believing household. What's a PK? Um, oh, pastor's kid. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> See, I um, don't even know the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was I was pretty much born Christian. I was raised in a program called Awana. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, cat. I've heard of Awana. Yeah. Um. So it's it's kind of like a program for elementary to middle school age kids to learn and memorize scripture for prizes and then there's you know game nights and stuff like that but the the Mm -hmm. point is like let's study it let's memorize it and get you to a place where you don't have to like open your bible in order to access like the truth lying within so grew up in awana very much wanting to be like not full-on teacher's pet but i was very much like a people pleaser and i just i love to get things right and get it done right the first time so like if it's possible to be top of you your class in, in a Wana. entire Bible. <laughs> no. So here's the thing is because I was doing it, I, I think I've successfully diagnosed at this point that because I was doing it for both the prizes and the recognition that I was the good Christian boy doing the work, mm. 
absolutely zero of it has actually stuck with me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was there for the Couldn't trophies. Repeat a line to save save your life, and yeah, to make to make adults proud of me. So, um, yeah. So grew up in Iwana, and like middle school started attending a youth group because um, I was also homeschooled through middle school. I in ninth through twelfth grade, I was in public school. So. Also being homeschooled, like going to youth group was a big deal for me because it was finally like a social circle, you know, mm, also yeah. based in church. Right. So made some of my greatest friendships in youth group, like, you know, they're friendships that stand to this day. I'm in contact with very many people that I grew up with in that sense. I, I also became a youth leader. Like as, as I got older, I started like as a high schooler, like leading small groups for the middle school boys and. Got involved with the worship band really early, really young and all that. Pretty much through like my couple years that I spent in college before I dropped out. I get to, t- I'm, I'm the one who gets the check on the box on any application ever. This is like education level. I get to say high school and some college, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So through college, basically going to the same church and then Dixie and I got married at that church and then you know, just, we, we kind of experienced a kind of a flattening effect of our faith as well. It was like, Hey, we're, I mean, we're married. I was working every Sunday morning at the time at the coffee shop. So it was like, we didn't have space or time to go to church. And then, Mm. uh, so she and I discovered a new church here in Billings and we attended there for a solid five years. And we were both in and out of being like volunteers on the worship team all the way up to like full on paid staff. Oh, wow. At the church. And then kind of like Josh, too, is kind of like my my willingness to kind of address my beliefs and like evolving theologies. You know, I was kind of looking at some of the narratives I was handed through Awana and through youth group and then through like the two churches that I really grew up in, you know, like the one through all the way through college and then the one in the recent five years that Dixie and I really we're like really excited about. And honestly, like that's the one where you describe like for a time, man, Calvary felt like the exact right place for me. And mm-hmm. that's how Dixie and I describe our last church. And now it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still don't know if outgrow is the right term for it, but it's like, man, I just have a sense. It's not for me anymore. Cat, I really like the way you said it. Like it didn't speak to me anymore. Yeah. For a long time. Um, it, really piqued my interest because I, I feel like they were they were like talking about things in a way that was so new that it was exciting. And once I don't know, I guess once I wrapped my head around it, I was like, I want to go learn something else now. Mm. But oh, totally. I, I want to give a plug for homeschooled kids um, <laughs> since you're both homeschooled <laughs> and I know Torna was homeschooled for a period of time. There's totally a stereotype for homeschooled kids. And I just want to say I'm going on record. Every single homeschool kid I've ever met has been vastly brighter and more accomplished than a lot of the people I know who went to like private school mm. for a very long time. So kudos to to homeschool kids. That's exactly what the homeschooling parents want you to think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Major shout outs to the parents right there. Y'all, y- y- y'all turned out all right. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. Kat, you might have some insight into this. I like can't stop thinking about this ever since you asked Stephen and I to like tell a little bit about where we've been and such, mm-hmm. which I think is all great context. But uh, I don't even know how to ask this. But you, growing up Catholic, might have some different experience of this. What is it with the Christian obsession with testimonies and like telling our spiritual journey? And we even see that like when people are mm. like figuring themselves out past Christianity and they're using like deconstruction language or faith crisis or like I'm raveling, like everything's falling apart and I still don't know what to make sense of it. But like, we still have this tendency to go back to like telling our personal journey. And I'm just so curious whether that is like a Protestant-y thing. Oh. Yeah, it definitely is a Protestant-y thing for sure. Yeah. And I think that's part of what like the, Cal- what was attractive to me in the Calvary church. Um, hmm. Catholicism felt very much more, at least as practiced at St. Christopher's school in San Jose, California. Um, it, felt, it felt very much more like a, um, your faith was something that was private and kind of quiet. Oh, interesting. And, oh. and you go to church and you sit down and you don't talk and 
you try to hear the priest who's not talking into the microphone and then you like <laughs> go through the motions without thinking about what you're doing and you chug the wine when you get the <laughs> chance to sip the coffee and then you leave. Like it was just very, and obviously some of that's just me, but, um, but it definitely wine was chuggers. very, <laughs> definitely, once we got to high school, it was, you know, then everyone Game was on, just man. hooligans. Right. Yeah. But, um, but, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't something where talking about your, your journey or, or really even like, I don't know, the depths of, of your faith or, or how it moves you or inspires you. That wasn't really encouraged, not mm. from my, what, 12 years of experience. Mm. And I kind of wonder. And that was part of what. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Was attractive with Calvary. Oh yeah. No worries. That was just what was, it was so different. And I have, I have some thoughts on, on what it was like within the Calvary church, but I'll let you go, uh, Henning. Well, so like, I feel like Ravel very often comes back to this and Whiskey Bench for sure recently has been coming back to this. But I kind of wonder if that points to some of the like cultural values between what I interpret the Catholic tradition to be a lot more like about the group. And it's like it's a lot more overtly Mm. like people like us do things like this and we do it all together. So there's not much encouragement to go like almost like go be an individual about it. Whereas Calvary Chapel is very much, you know, like that's the testimony effect is like tell your story, express yourself as the individual for your brief time to shine over and above the group. You know, the context of like individualism and collectivism within different faith traditions. Hmm, That's a good point. I kind of wonder if that's, that's at least a symptom that that tracks from my experience. Um, and I feel like I should note too that my I have a buddy out here in Montana. She lives in Livingston, who's she's from Indiana originally originally. Um, I almost just said originally. Nice. <laughs> she's from Indiana. We love mashing up words. Yeah, we we're good at it. Um and and she grew up in the Catholic Church out there and she was in a much more, I guess, conservative, um, not a progressive place. Sure. And she had a very different experience in Catholic school. It was very, it was more like, I don't know what you'd see like in an old Irish mob movie or something like very strict and, and a lot of emphasis on like chastity and more strict adherence to the quote unquote rules Mm. than I experienced. Ours was more like we had like declared socialist teachers at our school that were like just kind of using as a conduit to make political statements. So so it definitely manifests differently. But I think you're right, Henning, that there's there is kind of this like collectivist theme in terms of sort of how it's expressed. Is that a fair way to articulate yeah. it? Yeah. Well, um, which is which is certainly how religions through the ages have typically like made a name for themselves, right? Right, right. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash Ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at Ravelpod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Over time, you know, the the work we have as humans to, like, engage in relationship with people is kind of invite them to be like, but what if, see what, see where the grass is greener just one click over. You know, you're still right. That's fine. But, like, come over here a little bit, you know, like, take a step. Like, let me show you something that might convince you otherwise, you know, and that takes time. And that takes a lot of patience, and it certainly takes very, very nuanced conversations. And now, back to the conversation. I think I'm also interested in in what you said, like, right toward the very beginning, where, like, 
you feel like it was important, and honestly, so do I, that's why I'm pointing this out, is the way you kind of delineated from my faith is important to me, but like the church angle of my faith is far less important to me. And I don't think that you said it quite that way, but that's how I wrote it in my notes was basically like, yeah, like my faith is important, but like maybe the involvement in the church isn't quite, or at least that's not where you are right now. Yeah. I think that's accurate and fair. If you had to think about like the motivation for wanting to talk about all this on Ravel tonight, like, do you have a sense that it's more driven from like curiosity? Like, oh, I wonder why I'm this way. Or do like, do you have like the sense of that famous Catholic guilt? That's like, maybe I should be going to church. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I think for a long time, that famous Catholic guilt was there (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like sort of towards the end of my relationship with the Calvary church, I definitely, I was very conflicted. You know, I just Sunday would roll around and I wouldn't be motivated to go. I wouldn't be excited about it. I would go, but it was just like I said, the magic was kind of gone and I didn't feel the same connection any longer. Mm. And I felt immense guilt about that. And at the time, too, I was um, in a relationship like a romantic relationship with someone who didn't believe in God. And it was just kind of like that relationship didn't work out and should not have worked out. And things are where they're supposed to be. But it was at the time it was really, you know, I, I wanted it to work and it was really hard for me to, Mm. to accept that there were just all of these like obstacles in the way it felt like. And I was trying for a very long time to like control it and make it work and not just the relationship, but like how I felt about this church more specifically. And I, I remember I had a moment where I, I mean, I was, I was praying and kind of crying and was like, you know, I think I'm like, I think I need to listen to myself. And I think like God is telling me that like, this isn't right. You know, like if I'm, if I feel this way about this church, if I like, if I'm dreading going, Mm. I don't think Mm. that God is, is trying to drag me there. I think I need to, to let go and like trust that he's still with me. And that was a really freeing moment. And I've kind of been on this, like, well, I feel like I'm in a different chapter now, but for a long time leading up to the last couple of years, I've been like on a healing journey and like resolving a lot of stuff from childhood and young adulthood. And and I think that that like break, that like breathing room and that space was really was really needed. And I think letting go and letting go of that guilt, that Catholic guilt um, mm. was actually really healthy. And I and I honestly, I believe life unfolds with a purpose. I think there's a divine plan. And so in kind of accepting, I've learned there's a lot of power in acceptance and in accepting that like you are where you're supposed to be and whatever obstacles you're facing, you're meant to face and you have the power to make them something that you learn and grow from and that benefits Mm. you ultimately. Mm. Um, That's adopting that perspective was just really freeing. And I think honestly opened me up to have maybe a deeper relationship with God, like outside of the constructs of a church and that community. But I, I, but I just felt like it was becoming this, like this forced thing, you know, where I was making myself read my Bible and I was making myself go to church and I was making myself volunteer. And I just, there was no, like there was no joy. There was no goodness in that any longer. Wow. And letting yourself, giving yourself the space when you need it, I think is actually like really important and isn't something that's really advocated, at least from what I've seen. It's not really advocated in the church. Um, and I think maybe that's a mistake. I think it's important to to listen to yourself because sometimes God's communicating to you that way, right? Oh, man. I love everything about this perspective because to be honest, this is like exactly what I've been like literally in the last few days i've had like four hour long conversations with my dad and with my brother who like we're all kind of in a space of like we're feeling quote unquote nominally christian because it's like Hmm. our faith has never been more important to us and yet none of us it's it's not even that we're not feeling a draw to go back to church it's that we're actively feeling like i should definitely not go back to church right now Hmm. And man, this perspective of like, Hmm. just this, this whole perspective you just shared is, it really feels like you just gave me permission to be like, 
yeah, and like tremendous healing can actually come from recognizing that it just, it's not for me right now. And maybe it's God himself calling us out to that place. I think that is super wise and super important. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm wondering, because you're absolutely right, Kat, that is not something that's encouraged or like pointed out by churches. And I'm kind of wondering, an open question to the both of you, is it then just that it is not part of the church's incentive structure to celebrate that kind of healing? Because the church's incentive is, of course, to get more butts in seats, more tithes in the plates. And is the reason that church people like to call people like me a nominal Christian is just because they can't take, they then can't take the credit for the good kind of like faith development that happens in me. Uh, I kind of see what you're saying, but I'm not sure I have that perspective. Like I do, I see what you're saying about incentive structure, but I think that a church could absolutely just like incentivize people to stay despite their belief change. Like I think some churches have probably done it successfully. Um, I don't know about long term, but like I've heard of churches who have done this at least short term. I think that probably what's happening when people talk about nominal or cultural Christians, I think it's often people trying to make sense of other people's faith journey. Like, for instance, Kat, when you yourself don't know exactly where you're located religiously, it's anyone else's best guess where you're at, too. Like, right. Right. <laughs> Like, right. what else are they going to call you? Like, well, she's, uh, uh, she says she's a Christian. <laughs> like, that's as close as we're going to get. <laughs> she says she's a, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that it's like in the same way that when people leave the church or are trying to figure out their relationship to a church, um, in the same way that like we're always inventing language and like copying other people's language to see if it resonates with us, to see if we can locate where we're at. I think other people are doing the same thing when they talk about us, you know? Mm. That's my thought. Yeah. To your original question, Henning, I kind of, and again, I'm coming to this from a different perspective, just based on my experience in the church, but I, I tend to agree with your assessment, Henning, that like maybe it's just not within the church's incentive structure to encourage that personal development or the, or I guess to condone people walking away, like taking a break and mm. having the space. Yeah to kind of work these things out on their own in a way that isn't necessarily detached from God, but it's detached from that community. Mm -hmm. The community wants you to be a part of it, right? And there's nothing malicious about that. It's just, it's in its own best interest, (laughs) right? Right, that's our nature to like keep a cohesive group, cohesive. Yeah, and I think um, what was interesting for me within my own journey, like when... um, I like to say I'm a recovering codependent <laughs> because because there's actually kind of like basically a 12 step program for codependence, too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, yeah, because codependency typically like emerges from dealing with someone who has addiction issues. And so mm. there's a lot of learned behavior that follows kind of that addictive pattern. And mm. so the healing process is sort of paralleled in some ways. And for me, when I was beginning that journey of recovering from codependency, that was kind of at the same time I stepped away from the church. And Hmm. I found a lot of inspiration in Buddhism, actually, and not in adopting that as my faith, but in helping me. I honestly feel like it kind of helped keep me anchored to my Christian faith. If that may, I don't know if that makes any sense to either of you, but like, I love that. Yes. It gave me a lot of, like, it it gave me a different tool chest, right? And at that time, those were the tools that I needed. The other tools weren't working anymore, and I needed different tools. And Buddhism offered some tools that made sense to me and worked, but I applied them still to my understanding of a divine creator. And, And for me, that, that is, you know, what we understand as the Christian God. But, kind of interpreting my faith and I guess practicing it personally in a different way with different tools was really well it was it was what I needed and I think those tools are still actually really working maybe that's just where I'm at maybe those tools are still working 
And maybe I have a little bit of that Catholic guilt sneaking back in. But um, when I hear like you guys or Torna talk about your faith, um, it just feels like it feels like you guys have a deeper, a deeper knowledge of. I don't know, the different. The nah, we're, we're good at talking out our butt. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just I keep wanting to like return back to this thing that you said at the beginning um, about like a church you realizing a church like wasn't speaking to you anymore and it made me think about like the word disenchantment Mm, yeah Mm. i think that's a good word and how i think that that's a a common experience and b it's almost a direct parallel to the way that like relationships end like i was just listening to uh this podcast by the happiness lab today and it was about like the science of rejection and like how neuroscience is like starting to study what actually happens in the brain when you are rejected? Like, how do you feel it? Like, what processing center is it happening in, mm. et cetera? Wow. There, there was a lot of ins and outs at the episode, but, like, one thing it made me think about is that, like, which they, they hinted on this, about, like, how rejection from an employer, like, we often feel the same way about the rejection from a relationship. Like, rejection, period, just, like, feels like rejection often. And I think when it comes to the church... A lot of people feel that, obviously, but I think it goes both ways. Like sometimes we are the ones rejecting, like maybe we just like felt disenchanted or maybe we got harmed and then like that spurred on like a whole full-blown rejection. Like I'm not going to be a part of this ever again. Mm. And then other times it's the church rejecting us like as outcasts or as sinners or as fill in the blank. Mm. And there's a part of me that wonders... I don't even know how you would measure this, but there's a part of me that wonders like whether it's worse or feels worse to reject or be rejected or to like have a slow fade out where you just mm-hmm. like, like over time you're like, ah, is this for me still? I don't know. Rather than it being so black and white. Yeah. I almost think the slow process is maybe more torturous, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it, it, yeah. you're in that limbo for longer and you're questioning yourself and your choices for longer. And that's mm-hmm. actually a really uncomfortable place to be. Yeah. Living with that really, doubt really for so long. It almost kind of mirrors yeah. just like dying by old age. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like that slow decline to your deathbed. Right. Not, <laughs> I mean, of course, the analogy breaks down with less like it, it would be better to instantly die in a car crash. That's not what I'm saying either. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, just like just that understanding and that like, uh, maybe it's just grieving that we're feeling on that slow fade out rather than the immediate like break glass in case of emergency sense of rejection. You know, like the grief just takes its time with you, kind of has its way with you. Hmm. And it has a lot longer to do it. Do you think sometimes, uh, I don't know how to ask this in a way that's not a leading question, so I'm just going <laughs> to ask it. Do you think sometimes that we like draw things way too far out when we like focus on our spiritual journey? Like I'm thinking of like, no one likes someone who really talks about their ex all the time. Oh. Right. You know, like, and I'm not saying everyone who like recounts their spiritual journey is like that. Like, I don't think everyone's always talking about hurt or trauma or which are very real and valid. And I think those should be talked about. And so there's like obviously some sort of <laughs> balance. So I don't know. Yeah, ask like, the nominal uh, Christian who started a podcast about deconstruction. <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode where we shut it all down. <laughs> are we like doing the wrong thing here? Like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. No, but do you know what I mean? Like. Uh, like, are we causing ourselves more trouble by just mm. always recounting what has happened? Mm. Well, I think to a degree, sure. There's yeah. there's certainly a healthy balance to strike. You know, like I I actually mm. do think it's important and something that I would like to honor my evangelical roots for. It's like mm. I actually really appreciated the opportunity to kind of re-explain myself in a like mm. the further and further away I get from the injury the more the scar tissue is healed Mm -hmm. is how I want it. You know, like the opportunity to tell cat basically my story that I know people have heard unravel, but I don't care. Go start your own podcast if you don't like it. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) like the opportunity to retell the story was like, wow. Yeah. Like it's, it's just another, another way to look back and be like, wow, knowing what I think I thought at that time 
and knowing what I know now, like I can actually appreciate the journey. I think there's value in reflecting upon the journey. Of course, you can certainly... um, You can pity party it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you can wallow, Mm. and that isn't necessarily healthy. (laughs) But as an example, I have like a devotional that I read from time to time. and uh, Freaking Catholics love devotionals. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this one's like a codependent devotional. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Wow. It's actually great. But anyways, uh, Melody Beattie. If you're going through this, Melody Beattie's your gal. Um, but um, and it's interesting when I do pick it up and and look at for a while I was reading. I read it for a couple years in a row and each year I would use like a different color pen. And so now oh, cool. when I when I'm into it, when I'm feeling it, I go back and I'll look, you know, at a day. And and it's just interesting to see like my own personal evolution. Right. You know, and see like what I underlined and then looking at that and recognizing like I've like conquered that or like I've healed from that or like that's I'm good. I'm comfortable with that now, you know, and I think there's value in in that kind of reflection. But yeah, certainly you can you can definitely wallow and that's not yeah. necessarily healthy. Wallowing for wallowing's sake, you know, just heaping ashes on our heads and like tearing our clothes <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, but being yeah. able to look back at monuments like that and being like, man, look at how far we've come, you know? I definitely know mm-hmm. what I thought when I was using green pen versus red pen. <laughs> yeah. And like, because I've done the same thing with books. Like, I've I've reread books and I've underlined with different uh, different colors. And I, I love the second time you do that because you come back with the different color and you're like, I could underline that again, but... I, one I kind of already did so I don't want to clutter the page but also like maybe that doesn't speak to me like it did two years ago when I first read it so like the retelling of story I mean like that's that's mankind's history right is retelling stories in order to learn from them hmm. right okay yeah right so take that Josh um, but at the same time <laughs> like there obviously there's something to like the Catholic tradition even if it's a stereotype of like not focusing on that like the Pope doesn't like recount like you know when I was when I was thirteen I was involved in drugs and uh, then I turned myself over to the Lord and like he doesn't like share his testimony at every mass or something you know what I mean I don't know that's true I'm that's, sure those details are out that's there that's a but... version of it I mean like that's that's the kind of sermonizing I've called Christian TED talk right is just like, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good one bring bring the bring the talking points home because you're the motivational speaker this morning. Right. And that is that is where maybe that's where I got turned off. That sort of and that to me is just marketing. The TED right? talk. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that whole and you were asking about this earlier, Henning, like the idea of I guess you were describing as more individualistic, but the idea that like sure. you know, everybody wants to to talk about their specific journey and how the church saved them. And I think that that is well, and know. then that's their like business model. <laughs> Not it totally to, is. And I don't even. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there's also the like for me, I've I've been reading quite a bit of like, quote unquote, self-help books. But like there are some authors in the like the self-help space that are better authors and can better communicate to me than some pastors. I know. like I, I have I have books by pastors on my shelf that kind of speak to the same message. But if I'm going to be honest, I'm like, uh, like there's even one that I would personally prefer reading Tony Robbins again over that pastor. Talk about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is, it is something to kind of like, you know, you just kind of realize that, Oh, there's a market for this. Right. Yeah. Oof. And that can be taken to like a cynical degree <laughs> certainly but which i probably have but <laughs> i mean i'm a total cynic but um but but yeah but i think that is also just yeah fair right that's that's how they survive and it makes sense for them to incentivize that and to totally. market that way totally see um, josh the key is getting cat talking about incentives this is <laughs> this is her bread and butter <laughs> If you've heard the whiskey, I mean, you're talking to a psych degree here, Kat. I could talk about that all day. (laughs) Oh, most excellent. Kat, I did want to return to something you said before where it's like um, you have this experience of like of listening in on me and Josh and Emily talk on Ravel or me and me and Torna, you know, get into it Mm -hmm. on some aspect. And like 
is there any sense of like, I don't know. I guess I'm back to the guilt question. Like, do you feel like you ought to be more in on it or like, is it kind of inspiring to be like, Oh wow. Other people think like this. Cause to be honest, you are kind of describing how I feel rolling up to whiskey bench every week where I'm like, I barely think about politics. Like the only reason I do now is because I host whiskey bench and I feel like I need to like <laughs> be able to put the boxing gloves on, you know, or just like show up and be like, I kind of know what I'm talking about. Cause you and Torna can talk way over my head. And like, I've kind of come to peace that politics, like current events, geopolitics, like, of course I see their importance, but I've just kind of come to peace with the fact that that's just not what I choose to think and talk about when I have nothing else to think and talk about, you know? So like I've, I've kind of absolved myself of the guilt of being like, man, I should be like way more educated or way more like well-read because to a certain point it really does come down to like, is your personal interest in it? Yeah. And I think, I guess for me personally, um, I I don't feel that guilt. I think I great. I'm I don't think you should reconcile myself. Yeah, where kind of where you're at, um, where it's like that's just I'm not going to force it. <laughs> you know, that's not where the interest is. Uh, other people can play in that and, playground. And this thought just occurred to me while you were talking, Henning, because I so value like the questions that you bring to the whiskey bench. I think it makes our conversation like vastly more interesting and brings like another dimension to the conversation. So maybe maybe that's like a helpful role just in the world that I can play, right? Mm. Where if I'm in these conversations, if I have questions, right? Like that's I actually think it's really that's an important role. Yeah. Right. Like chase down that curiosity. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like we have to have the answers, but I think, you know, the people who are humble enough to ask the questions are the ones that maybe lead to better discovery, you know? Gosh. Well, if that doesn't embody everything I've wanted Highline to sound like, I don't know what does. Because <laughs> that's like, that's that's why I value all these shows. Like the conversation I get to have on Ravel and Whiskey Bench is like, we're people showing up to have the conversation, even if we're not the most well-equipped or like, you know, we're not the podcasters that are expert in the topic to comment on it. Right. Dang. Yeah, there's value in that. That's very good. Wow. Well, speaking of there being value in that, Kat, I would love to hear um, where I'm introducing a new segment. I would love to hear <laughs> your hottest theological take. Oh, all right. Oh, God. That you think you oh, have no. come to. Like, My whether it's like a belief take. that you've thrown away or like a new belief that you've come to that you're like, I think this is how it is. Ooh. I can't back it up, but this is how it is. Yeah. Um. Gosh. I don't know if I have something in particular that comes. I don't think I have something in my back pocket that like, I know this is my hottest theological take, but because um, <laughs> I don't think about it enough. But um, I guess something that maybe even just throughout this conversation, I've been thinking about like, well, wow, this is a big statement. I don't know if I actually feel this. This is just an idea that's popping out of my head right now. Yes, but these are my favorite. I, I, I don't know if. I fully believe that, like, you can only get to God's kingdom through Christ or through, like, one particular expression of Christ sure. on earth. Maybe that yeah. means I'm, does that make me not a Christian mm. by no. <laughs> saying that? Because <but laughs> here's, here's where I pull my, my trump card out is, like, I think I actually agree with you. And I think I've kind of been there mm. for a while. Um, even you mentioning like being informed by the Buddhist teachings actually like informed the way I show up in my faith life. I think that's valuable. And I don't think that is valued enough. Is that like cross like that, like interfaith conversation of like yeah. gleaning and learning wisdom from other traditions that are completely different. I mean, like I, we we've only barely scratched the surface on the whiskey bench, but just the differences between Western and Eastern thought. Right. And the fact that Buddhism came out of one Christianity and Abrahamic religions came out of another, uh, out of another, like that's a big deal, you know? Well, and there's a lot of val. They're like, those were powerful experiences. Those people had right. Yeah, when they right. discovered that faith. And I, and I don't, it feels naive for me in 2021 in the United States to like 
look back across time and space and say, like, you weren't experiencing something real. You know what I mean? Like, who Mm. the hell am I to say that? Right. Like, so I just yeah, I guess I guess I have a hard time wrapping my head around that concept. You won't say that all Buddhists ever are going to hell for sure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I guess it sounds maybe kind of like a cop out or like new agey or fluffy to to just kind of say like, well, you know, people have their own expression of faith and it means something to them and that's enough. But like, I don't so what know. I love about the way that you worded it is that there are literally so many things in that phrasing to latch onto that almost anybody can agree with. Like, hmm. I feel like almost any smart pastor out there, emphasis on the word smart. Well, like, totally agree with you that, like, well, obviously not only one denomination is right. Like, we're all following Jesus. Yeah. Right. 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 And then, like, Stephen, the freaking Christian universalist over here in the corner, of course, he's like, well, hell yeah, brother. Not all those other religions are going to hell. They're also leading to Jesus. And then me over here, the the Christian-ish person, question mark, who's, like, leaning into agnosticism being a part of faith. Of course, I'm like, well... Heck yes, you're not sure. That's faith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just think it's yeah. it's so funny. Like, I, I, I think this goes for the Bible, the church, our theological statements. Like, literally everything is up for interpretation. And I have just been thinking about so much lately how, like, between work and then, like, a couple conversations I've been having, I've just been reminded over and over again in the last couple weeks that, like, we're literally all just making this up. On our own. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the Pope, the pastors, yeah. us, like none of us have been here before and we're <laughs> literally just like flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's so spot on. I, even the way Kat said something to the effect of like, it's not all this one expression of Christ, even. That was the phrase I wanted to latch on to because mm. like- I I know Michael Gunger got blasted for his tweet about like <laughs> Jesus was Christ, Buddha was Christ, Muhammad was Christ, you're Christ, I'm Christ. Um but like Ravel, I think like episode 6 we talked about the elephant in the room where it's, you know, it's the parable of the blind people encountering an elephant and touching different parts of the elephant and saying, "Well, it must be a snake, it must be a tree, it must be a it must be a rhino or something." And they're all touching the same creature like who are we to say that that's not actually the case when we're encountering the divine through whichever tradition is our favorite flavor to encounter it? I almost think that like the the flavor, what matters about the flavor is whether it leads to like prosperity here on earth. Mm. Like, and maybe, and this is maybe because I'm I'm more interested in like, history and politics and economics so like that's where my mind goes but like like part of what draws me to christianity is that i think demonstrably it like it provides a good foundation for a prosperous society and i don't just mean like material Mm. wealth but i mean like strong family structures strong community structures you know like couple that with english law and a free market and you've got you know hot damn (laughs) <laughs> You've got success. Some people, you know, Kat, would say that you are describing the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about or the kingdom of heaven. You know, when he said the kingdom of heaven is here, he's saying, like, look at the it's available to you right now, though. You don't have to wait to mm. die to go to heaven. Mm. Heaven is here. And then others who disagree with you would call it the Protestant work ethic. Hey. <laughs> also yeah. very true. So. <laughs> yeah but kind of to josh's yeah. point like we're all kind of making this up anyway like <laughs> we're all figuring it out mm. dang all right josh thank you for that segment asking for i think that's uh the yeah, shortest anytime. the shortest lived segment on ravel because <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great question it was great um cat as we kind of wrap things up here would you tell our Ravel audience where they can find you on the internet and where they can find whiskey bench. Totally. So at whiskey bench pod on pretty much any platform. We're on all the social medias. We're on TikTok now. 
or even on TikTok. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is dead. So we're not on that. (laughs) Yeah. And then if you are interested in hot takes and political tweets, you can follow me on Twitter at Kat J. Dwyer. Kat, if the spirit is moving you in this moment, we leave the guests (laughs) available to offer us a toast or a benediction in Emily's absence. Otherwise, Josh, my friend, do you have something in your back pocket for this? You put Kat on the spot for I have the hot takes. I did. <laughs> but I don't know if I have a I don't know if I have a hot take, but I have a um a mantra that I think would be oh, yes, valuable. Then I guess we could drink to it. Love that. I like a good it's saying. Very simple but powerful. Practice gratitude. Amen. Wow, yeah, amen Great. to that. <laughs> Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where every week we discuss our modern world over a fresh cocktail. We start with three ounces of a favorite philosopher. Take your pick of Hobbes, Locke, or Rousseau. Next, we pour in a shot of modern discourse like Second Amendment policy or renewable energy. Sweeten with a dash of lighthearted conversation about salsa cereal or the private space industry. Shake with ice and strain with ideas about modern art or raw milk regulation. Garnish with intellectual humility and moderate optimism. Cheers. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.